pray this morning. Father, we thank you uh, for your comfort. We thank you for the gift of prayer and what it is, God, to speak and be in communication with you on a regular basis. God, we don't uh, take advantage enough of that opportunity. God, this morning, would you, uh, would you move us closer to you? Would you help us to feel your, your comfort, God, for those this morning that have felt their grief in a real way this week? God, on behalf of our, our country and on behalf of uh, our cities, God, that are in the midst of great dissension and trouble, for Charlotte and Tulsa and others, God, we lift up your prayer of reconciliation. May we be ministers of that reconciliation. May we be what you've blessed in the Beatitudes as peacemakers, God. Help us to discover what that means in our lives and in our communities and to walk through those doors. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I want to read uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. We're in a series on the Beatitudes, and this is the second Beatitude we'll focus in on this morning. These are the words of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, if you've been in church for long, you've probably heard these words. And this is the danger of uh, being at something for a long time, no matter what it is, is you become so accustomed to hearing the words, the procedures. I mean, how many of you, when you get on a plane, are still paying attention to the, the instructions that come on the front end, right? We grow so accustomed to hearing things that we almost forget the power of those words. And these words are just like that. These are powerful words. And yet this week as I came back to this text I've heard so often, I began to wonder, do I really know what this means? What does it mean when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit? I don't want us to lose how odd these words are. Because they are not the words that we offer to people who are walking through grief. Hey, I want you to know you're blessed. Congratulations. You're walking through a difficult time. That's not the words we use. And so I want to start by looking at that word blessed, because in our culture, blessed has almost lost its Christian background and, and rooting. Now, for those of us who are Christians, I think we tie those blessings to God, but I'm amazed, and I want you to listen just this week coming up on how many times you hear the word blessed brought up in conversations. How many times you use this word in conversations? What's the context of those conversations and what's meant by it? In fact, if you're on social media at all, you've begun to realize this is a hashtag that's used quite often. And usually what it means is, uh, my life has gone relatively well recently. The weather was good today, hashtag blessed, right? I mean, we use this word without really knowing the, the reason behind the words that we're saying. And some of us attribute that to God, but others it's just kind of, uh, we're fortunate or we're lucky in some way. When my day goes smoothly, blessed. When I'm saved from what could have been tragedy, Blessed, when the weather is good or the rain comes as it's needed, blessed. In fact, I believe this term blessed has evolved from a distinctively Christian term, as I said, to more of a just secular usage for things are, things are going well, things are looking up. And uh, I think that's where we need to be woken up to what this really means. I mean, that's why that translation, congratulations, I like a little bit better, not necessarily because it's a better translation, but because it wakes us up to the reality of what Jesus is saying. You're blessed when you mourn makes no sense. What do we say to those who are walking through grief and mourn? We don't say, blessed are you in this moment. We say, bless your heart because you're walking through this, right? Which is a different reality than of what the words mean. But this week, I began to believe again these words and how powerful 
they are for us. I believe their truth. So that's uh, waking us up to this idea of blessed. But what about the word mourn? What does mourning mean? That's a term I don't hear all that often as well, except in specific examples. Here's the definition I came up with as I was thinking about this idea of mourning this week. I tend to associate it with tears or with crying. It may involve that, but I believe mourning is refusing to deny the losses and suffering that we experience in our lives. Refusing to deny the the suffering, the experiences of loss that we have in our lives. Mourning means that we no longer close our eyes to the difficult realities that we face, that we tend to busy ourselves and not pay attention to too much. Because if we think if we pay too much attention, then we may walk into a bout of depression. And so we, we just kind of blind ourselves or we numb ourselves or we, we, we busy ourselves so we don't have to attend to these ways. And what happens over time when you do enough of that is you lose your wholeheartedness. Parts of you begin to kind of not feel as much because it's easier to numb rather than it is to fully feel the pain or the great blessings that happen in our lives. But what we want is we want to be wholehearted people, don't we? We want to be people who feel everything, the difficult and the good, because it's only then that we can receive the comfort that's needed in the difficult times. Because I would suggest that everything in our culture pushes against feeling ourselves fully what it is. In fact, in American culture, I would say that sadness has become a disease. It's a disease that we learn to medicate or we learn to busy ourselves from rather than fully feeling it. And this morning, I want to encourage us as a body of people, whatever it is that you've lugged in here with you, whatever it is that that burdens on your shoulders, whatever it is that you face this week that's new news, that's difficult. I want to encourage you to feel that this morning. And this may be one of the last places where we can continue to encourage that. Because there's so many other places that would medicate or tell you other ways to deal with it. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who feel. Blessed are those who open their eyes to the reality of their lives. Uh, Last week, uh, Holly and I had an experience with her family that kind of awoke me to this, uh, again, the difficulty in our culture of, of feeling and mourning. Uh, Holly's great-grandmother passed away, which you're thinking, Holly's great-grandmother, yeah, she was 96 years old, and she lived a, a long life, and it was one of the first funerals I've been to that I didn't have some role in, in in the last few years. As a preacher, you're often on stage in those moments, and it's harder to just kind of assess the situation or even mourn yourself because you're helping others to do that. And in this case, I was able to sit back and and, and, and watch the situation. I was thinking about this message. I was writing it the very week this happened, and Holly and I were on the way to the funeral. We were talking about what does it mean to mourn, and how do we walk into this well? And, and, and I began to realize that sometimes even our rituals that are supposed to help with mourning don't always do that. In my experience, in, in the culture I've grown up in, this may not be your experience, depending on your family situation, the funerals you've been into, but funerals don't always help us mourn in our culture, as well as other cultures have helped others more. I was talking to Holly about how strange it would be if, as we were driving there, if one of the people who was there at the funeral were to fall out onto the floor and just lose themselves completely, wailing and moaning and groaning and, and sharing their mourning in a very public way. I don't know what I would do as the preacher in a situation like that, because there's a decorum to funerals, aren't, isn't there? It's an unspoken decorum. Uh, and, and I'm thinking, I, I don't know what I would do. I would hope someone would attend to that situation. And, but what would we do if we were in the crowd in a moment like that? You kind of would learn to avert your eyes, wouldn't you? You, you don't want to call attention to it, and so you hope someone takes care of it, maybe removes that person from the room. If, it sounds harsh to put it this way, but isn't this the expectation we have? In fact, I, I hear people talk about funerals when I'm dealing with family situations, and often I'll hear people say, 
I just hope I can hold it together to the funeral. Or, or, or I'll ask them, would you like to have a part to play in this? Would you like to share a story about your loved one's life? And they'll say, I, I really would rather write something that you can share because I'm not sure I can, I can keep it together. And those statements reveal to us, I think, the expectations in our culture. Now, mourning doesn't mean necessarily losing it all over the place in public. We have expectations that people can do that in private or uh, before the funeral or maybe after. But there's an expectation when we come together that we don't fully feel and display our mourning. And that's not always been the case in every culture around the world. In fact, in the ancient Near East, in the time of Israel, when they were about to go into exile, they had something called professional mourners that they would call in for moments like these so that people could fully experience the pain and the suffering that was going on. They would give permission. If you have your Bibles this morning, open with me, if you would, to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9. In this passage, God is sharing with Israel, you're about to go into exile. It's not going to go well. It's because of your sins. And this is what I want you to do, you to do as a result of it as a, as a people. This is Jeremiah 9, verse 17. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider now, call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. Isn't that an interesting verse? Call for the women of wailing. Is that what it is? Is it still up there? Call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skillful of them. It's as if there are certain people who have a gift of leading people into a process of mourning. This is a professional job. Imagine that being a job you could sign up for in the ancient Near East, right? I think I could do that well, right? How, how challenging would that be? But that was the expectation is there's going to be people that are going to model and lead us into this. And that's very different from the experiences I've had. But it's not just funerals. There's all kinds of examples in our, 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 our culture about how it's very difficult for us to do this. Another of those examples is, uh, is, is our culture's discomfort with, with healthy mourning. And I'll talk about that again in just a minute, even the good things in our lives create you stress, good stress, that, that we need to be able to mourn in our lives. One of the challenges, there's lots of challenges that come up around these things, but this is a little more of a delicate subject around our culture, especially for some who are in the room. It has to do with the soldiers returning from the battlefield. Recently, I became aware of the statistics of the number of soldiers that are taking their lives when they come home as veterans. It's an appalling statistic. The best I can find out it's about 20 to 22 every single day who are making that decision. My heart goes out to those families, to those individuals who walk through that. That's a statistic that needs to change. But I think it has something to do with what the passage and the topic is this morning. How are we able to mourn? Because there are many factors that lead to a situation like that. One of those, I believe, is the stigma in our culture around mental health and around a a, a taboo about going to do that, especially sharing that publicly. I know in military culture, that's probably even more difficult for reasons that I don't fully understand myself. Those are things that need to change in our culture. Not just that, that's an extreme example, but all of us need to be able to do that. Holly and I have found great blessings from going and engaging with counselors in our life. We would encourage you to do the same in your marriages. I've done that individually through tough seasons of my life. But imagine what it's like to be a vet who comes home and and I know there are lots of us that would, would pay for the meal of a veteran, right, who, who we, we see, or we'd, we'd congratulate them and thank them for their service. 
But we know deep down this is not God's future. War is not the best scenario. It's the situation in the world we find ourselves in. And, and imagine being a vet who comes home with wounds, physical sometimes, and often it's things you can't see. And coming home, and all you hear from people is celebration. But you're not quite sure who you can actually share the depth of your pain with. I mean, when you come home a hero, it's hard, hard to know how is it okay to mourn in the midst of people wanting to celebrate what's going on. But there's deep wounds inside people, no matter what the situation is. All of us face these things. Our worship services are a similar thing in our culture to where we don't allow for lament and mourning. I would say 99.5% of the services I've been in in my life have not provided a venue or a place for mourning or lament to occur. We have a whole book in our Bible called Lamentations. And yet this hasn't been the norm in our churches. Now, I'm not suggesting that you know, half of the services I send you out saying, be quiet as you leave, as you focus on the difficulties in your life. But I think the balance could be a little closer to where it's needed because it is really hard if you've ever had a tough week to walk into service and to put a smile on your face and act like everything's okay and sing songs of celebration. Well, that's not the place you're in personally. And I hope this morning uh, that you've had that sense that maybe this is a safe place to do that because we trust Jesus' words, don't we? Blessed are those who mourn, but they will be comforted. But again, I said this isn't just the hard transitions in our life. It's also the positive transitions in our life that need mourning. And our culture probably makes us even more taboo than the hard realities of seeking help in those situations or, or finding ways to mourn. One of those situations is when it comes to marriage. There's something to be mourned as you enter into a new life in marriage. And even saying that is almost like, how can you possibly say that? Because it's taboo in our culture to say this. Because when good things happen, you don't mourn the past. You just move over and and are excited about the future. But I've seen way too many examples of people who didn't see the benefits of singleness and didn't mourn what was being lost as they appreciated the good new life that was coming and And often it will end up later on in life coming back to haunt them. Because then they're going to walk through wishing they were single and it's going to work itself out in very destructive ways. It's important to mourn even the good transitions in our life. Having a baby is the same way. I can't possibly, you know, come out of the delivery room and go, well, we have a boy, but this is going to change our life. I don't know. You celebrate, right? And for good reason. But there are things that are lost when you have a baby. Uh, That, 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 Night on the couch, being able to just discuss whatever it is, is not something we'll be able to experience for another 15 years at least, right? Some of you have a, r- adult kids, and you're going, it still doesn't happen for us, right? There's something to be mourned in every transition. In the hard ones, it's easy to see, and sometimes it's in the good ones. It's hard to see. I was talking to Dr. Mike Kellum, who's a member of our church, who came up after the first message, and he said, I can't tell you how many people I see that come to me that are dealing with physical maladies and struggles And it's not because they're going through something difficult in their life and failing to mourn it. It's because they're going through good things and there's nothing in our culture that allows them a chance to express the the difficulties. And when you don't express what gets pent up, your bodies will show you. Your your body will show you what happens when we don't sort and deal through it. Same thing's true with a, a good job or a promotion. You're excited to leave an old one. You're excited to move into the new one. But there are things that you will experience at some point that you'll wish you could go back to the old thing. It was easier when we had the first house that we had when things were barely squeaking by. It was easier when, when, when I didn't have to travel as often as this new job does. It's, it's important for us to mourn every transition in our lives as we move into the new realities that God has for us. But I want to end this message with good news. Because there's a promise that goes along with the first half of this statement. And here's the promise. Now, I don't always understand the, 
the connection between the Beatitudes, what Jesus says of blessed are such and such and the blessing that comes with it that God promises. Like poor in spirit. I tried to kind of draw that out last week about how the poor in spirit, it makes sense they would get the kingdom of God. But this one, there's no mistaking the connection. Blessed are the are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is not just some magical gift that God bestows on those who shed a few tears. There is something tied to the process of mourning that God worked into our universe, into our bodies, that when we walk into it well, comfort is what comes out on the other side when we do it in the proper way. It's not some promise that God just gives to us. And what what our culture tells us is just push it aside. Just don't mourn. Just busy yourself. I, I can't tell you how many times that the other day, I was sitting at the bus stop, and I left my phone at home. I had about five minutes before Maddox and Addison got off the bus and, and showed up. I can't tell you how hard that five minutes was without my cell phone in my pocket. Because the first thing we know to do when we feel a deep sadness in us is to go to our phones. Or it's to go to something that busies and distracts us. And what that does is it prevents us from moments of silence, from moments of confession, from moments of mourning where we fully feel what it is we're sad about, to fully feel what it is that's a drawback in our lives. And so the busyness and the distraction steps in, and we never are comforted as much as if we were to cry out as David does. How long, O Lord? How long will you not answer these prayers? How long will it be? Israel cried for over 400 years, and there was silence. And some of you this morning, you need permission to do this. You need permission to know it's okay to admit what you're suffering and struggling with. It's okay to name the pain in your life, to to admit that and say, this is not okay. That's part of what mourning is. When we do this, as Matthew 5-4 suggests, comfort is what comes. When we we mourn, when we speak what has been unspoken, when we speak the thing that others said, that's not really the cause of that. It's just a problem in yourself. Don't blame what happened in your past or what's currently situated. When we don't name that pain and we try to cover it up and act like if it's not a big deal, we are not the wholehearted people God desires us to be. And as long as we don't admit our pain, we are much less able to attend to ourselves, but also attend to the people around us. This is what I see in the life of Jesus. That Jesus is able to be so present to others in his life because he's able to deal with the pain in his own life. He finds times of silence and solitude. And through that, comfort comes. Now, church, I can't imagine the pain that's brought into this room every Sunday. I can't imagine because so often I ask the question, how are you doing? And we know the culturally appropriate response. But I'm grateful for those this morning that are willing to ask that question a second time. Where you know deep down they really do care. And maybe I can share this. Well, I hope more conversations in our church will continue that way. I know that's uncomfortable for some of us that aren't ready to share. But I hope we'll become a church more and more that knows that. That's why our small groups are so important. Because you know these are people that you can share your life fully with. And all of this sounds a little bit like the 12 steps if it comes back to it. Maybe everything really does if you come back to it. The first step is to step out of denial. And that's what mourning is. It's to take the mask off. It's to stop closing our eyes and to admit there's stuff going on. There's pain in our lives that needs to be changed. But what I love is step 12 is... Once you've been comforted, once you've walked through healing, you pass that on to others as often as you possibly can. And that's what it happens when we mourn. We feel comfort. We've walked through tragedy. It's amazing how often we're now able to walk into the lives of others and provide them hope, provide them comfort in ways we never could before we experienced whatever it was that was the challenge. 
Now, this morning, I want to admit something that as a man in white culture, I'm not supposed to admit. But you've learned over the last few years that you can't expect me not to just say whatever's on my mind, right? A man's not supposed to say this, but I, I want to say it, it feels good to cry. There's actually a physiological response in our bodies when we shed tears that actually brings comfort to us. But what we're told from a young age is, well, you better not cry. We teach our kids as often as we can when they do something. Just, just shut it down. Just don't feel it. Just stop putting that out. And, and over time, we show up at funerals years later and still the same words are there in our minds. But there's something about this process where God has designed us that when we shed tears, when we actually feel our pain and we let that out, there is a comfort that comes physiologically. God designed our bodies this way. Some of you need to go home and you need to reacquaint yourself with your tears. It's okay for your pillow to be tear-stained. It's okay for your cries to God not just to be vocal, but to be bodily as well. And it's okay to learn to do that in community as well. I wonder who might have the gift of being a professional mourner this morning in the crowd. We, we've just shut that spiritual gift out, haven't we? But there was a time in Israel's past where that was a gift. I know some of you, you shed more tears than others. You've walked through challenges and you've walked through difficulty. And you know what that does? That provides you a chance to walk beside others and give them permission to do things the culture's taught them not to do. I want to close with a prayer and with an invitation this morning. Our prayer leaders would love to, to engage with you in prayer even after our service. Or right as we sing this next song, feel free to go back and, and pray with them. Uh, but I don't want you to leave these doors this morning without naming what that pain is in your life. And it's not going to happen all in one moment, probably. There's probably more work to do, and there's more time to, get, to be spent with God this week crying out how long. Maybe Psalm 13 needs to be your psalm this week. God wants to take that yoke. Whatever it is, it's that burden. He says, my, my burden's easy. It's light. So take this up and don't carry out with you what you brought in this morning. Can we do that this week? Let's pray together as we close our time in the Word. Father, I trust this word in Matthew 5. I believe that it's the mourn who are, the, the, the blessed, you, you bless those who mourn. And that somehow through that process, God, of shedding tears, of, of naming that pain in our lives, somehow comfort comes. It comes sometimes through community. It comes sometimes through a, a miraculous gift of your Holy Spirit in a season we need it most. And then in, in that process, we learn to be able to comfort others in their pain. God, I this morning, I don't thank you for the tragedies in our lives. And I know that's not your doing. But I do thank you for what you do through those moments to attune us to the pain of others and to walk beside them. But I pray like Job's friends in the first seven days that we can sit with people in their mourning rather than trying to offer words which was not as helpful in the days that came after. May we be a people who walk through this in our own lives so that we can be so attentive to the people in our lives who need it most. God, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. And we trust it again this morning. We want to walk more in line with it. Bring your comfort again. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.